So I would invite you now to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and we will be in verse 39 going through verse 56. And I have I've been tasked with trying to get through this fairly quickly uh, this morning because the highlight of the day today, I think, is probably going to be what happens at the end of our service. We get, uh, we get to watch all the kids come in here and present their uh, Christmas program to us this morning. And so maybe that's even why some of you are here this morning. And so we're looking forward to having the kids in here later to be able to have them share with us what they've been working on and should be a great time and a great way to conclude our gathering. But I would invite you now to uh, stand with me uh, as we read from Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39 going through 56. We read, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come to gather together in your presence, and we recognize in this moment that you are here with us, and that it is because of the coming of Jesus so many years ago, and because of his work on the cross, his atoning death for us in our place, and his resurrection, that he now stands always interceding for us and providing us free access before your throne, so we come freely calling upon your name this morning in confidence, knowing that you hear us, knowing that you are with us, knowing that you long to meet us again as we come to your holy word. So I pray that you would guide us as we walk through this text, as we seek to learn from it a familiar passage to many. So strike within us new perspectives and new thoughts and a fresh way in which we can behold Jesus and be drawn to worship him more today. I do want to pray this morning, God, for those who are hurting, both here in our body and in our world. We think of those who have been significantly affected by the tornadoes just out east a little bit. 
Um, for those who have lost loved ones, have lost property, um, things like this in times when we, we, we don't know why, and yet we seek to trust in you. And so I pray for those who are hurting that you would bring comfort, that you would bring healing. I pray for those in our midst who are even walking through a dark valley even now, maybe with a loved one who is even now on the doorstep of, uh, of, of passing on, who are struggling to, to, to wrestle through that in the season. Pray that you would bring hope and healing to the brokenhearted, that there would be a remembrance, that the incarnation reminds us of your desire to be with us and your desire to reach out and care for the lowliest of us. So meet us in our brokenness, meet us in our sorrows, and allow our sorrow, even at the same time, to be mixed with great joy. So we commit this day into your hands and ask that you would guide and direct us into your presence again. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys can have a, have a seat. Let me ask you as, as I get started here, how many of you would be honest and say that you absolutely love Christmas music? Like, it, it is your thing. Like, like, let's start playing it in November. Let's just crank it all throughout December. Christmas music is awesome. Okay? How many of you would be honest and actually say, you know, Christmas music, it's uh, not really my thing. I could take it or leave it. All right, all right, we got a few in here. Okay, okay. I'm actually with you on this. I'm with you on this. Uh, I have kind of, uh, you know, a strange relationship with Christmas music. Some of it's awesome. Some of it's great. Great set this morning, Cole and the, and the team. That was awesome. There's some great, deep, rich hymns that we sing this time of year that remind us of, of what Jesus has done. But for me, I have to nuance this. It, it, it's actually all the kind of pop, just cheesy Christmas music that gets pounded this time of year that, that I really have a, a pretty strong distaste for. And I actually think it goes back to a, a time in my life that was one of the worst seasons for me, where uh, it was right after I, I had gotten married, which was a good, good thing, but uh, <laughs> just, to, just to clarify, that, that was the highlight. Just trying to, just trying to yeah, got to be careful how I word this here. Anyway, but right after we got married, which was awesome, we... Uh, we were living just outside of the Boston area uh, for a couple months before we were going to move back out west. And uh, I needed a job. I didn't have any, any work at the time. And so I was looking to do something. And so um, I had applied at a few different places and couldn't find anything. And so I got kind of desperate and I ended up taking a job at Toys R Us. And it was like three weeks right before Christmas. About the worst job I've ever had. And I'm, I'm actually speaking as a guy who used to clean up sewage for a living. So uh, that tells you something. So anyway, uh, I, I started working at Toys R Us, and actually I applied because I thought I was going to be building bikes for them, which I thought, I, I like bikes, so I thought that could be a fun job during the holidays or whatever, but uh, that's not what they actually had me do. And I thought there was maybe going to be some training too, but uh, actually what happened was that I showed up and they, they said, hey, okay, here's your red shirt, and uh, here's a cart full of stuff that needs to go back into the store, so go out there and uh, you know, figure out where things are in the store and put everything back. I was like, oh, okay, that doesn't sound too hard. What I didn't realize was that uh, doing that was kind of like throwing someone to the wolves. Because uh, as, as I took that card out there, I began to realize that I just got bombarded with all these parents and these people who were looking for some gift for their kids, some strange, obscure thing. And I just got there. I didn't know where anything was. I didn't even have kids at the time. So like, when a mom's like, you know, asking me for something, I'm like, no, ma'am, I'm sorry. I, I don't know where Barbie's you know, dream house castle mansion is. I have no idea. But I'll help you try to find it, I guess. And uh, as I was trying to find that, somebody else would ask me. And so basically I just did that for eight hours of just trying to like fake it till I made it, I guess, as they say. 
And so uh, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was a rough time. But uh, what made it even worse was the music that they played. Because I found out really early on that they played about the same ten songs over and over and over again. And by the end of eight hours, I think I was just so on edge from listening to this annoying music. Like there's a song, I think it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's called Last Christmas. Like Last Christmas, I gave you my heart the very next day. Get... Oh my goodness. Every time I hear that now, it's like PTSD or something where I just like cringe. I, I hate it. It was a rough time. So I have kind of a, a, a disdain for a lot of Christmas music out there. But uh, the thing about the text that we look at today is that we actually get to look at one of the best Christmas songs that has ever been written. Probably one of the first songs that's been, that, that was written to mark kind of this time that we recognize as the Christmas season. But this is one of, one of the songs that, that, that can speak to us such amazing truths, a song that we don't often put to music and sing today, but one that for Mary and Elizabeth in this moment revealed their heart of worship for the God who had just intervened miraculously in their lives. And as we look at this, this greeting between Mary and Elizabeth and this song that, that Mary proclaims, hopefully we will be drawn to see that there is a need for humility in our lives to be able to recognize the magnificence of the Incarnation. So I have just two simple points for us as we look at this passage. Number one, we'll look at this worshipful reunion, and then we'll look at Mary's magnificent song. So there's this worshipful reunion in chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. After she has received the news from the angel Gabriel that, that she was going to become miraculously pregnant with the Son of God, Mary, it says, heads off to visit her relative Elizabeth. Some, we, we know that it's her relative from back in verse 36. Uh, some translations actually try to specify it as her cousin, and it's traditionally been known as that. The, the language isn't quite that precise. Uh, it's kind of a rough guess based on the tribes they were from that that's likely the relationship. But uh, she's related in some way, so Mary and Elizabeth know of each other. And so you can just imagine where Mary is at in this moment, Right? That she has just received this life-changing news. And she's struggling to, to even process and make sense of this. So she's probably feeling a lot of different emotions from, from just joy and amazement all the way to, to just fear and uncertainty. And she probably, as a young girl, probably 13, 14, 15 years old, wants to just talk with somebody about this. Wants to process this with somebody. But, let's be honest, who, who's going to listen to her? Who's going to want... One, just believe her. Oh, oh, sure, an angel came and told you this. Okay, that's a good excuse for what, what's happened in your life. You know, she, nobody's going to believe her or listen to her. Who's going to even understand, be able to enter in and recognize this, this situation she's in? But God in His grace has given her a sign of her relative Elizabeth, who also, just a few months previously, also had a miraculous encounter with an angel and was, was told that they would, they would, they would have this child after years of, of being barren as Elizabeth was unable to have children, God stepped in and gifted her with a child who was going to be the forerunner, the one who would prepare God's people for the Messiah to come. And so, Mary heads off down to Judah. The specific location isn't, isn't specified, 
but it's likely a two to three day journey. And she goes down there to reunite with her relative and to process with her the only other woman who would be able to believe her and understand what she's going through. And so then Luke records that as soon as Mary arrives at the house, the house of Zechariah and Elizabeth, she, she greets Elizabeth. And then something incredible happens. This very specific point, it says that the baby in Elizabeth's womb, we know him as John the Baptist, leaps inside of her, right? Now, baby movements inside the womb are pretty crazy, right? For any woman who's, who's experienced that and felt that, it's pretty crazy. I've only felt it from the outside, but it, it, it's wild. My wife would oftentimes say, hey, can you, can you feel the, the baby moving inside of me? And then as it, as it matured more and more, you could start to feel it. You could even see it at times, and it's pretty weird in a lot of ways, but also beautiful and, and, and amazing, too. It's a distinct and unique experience. But this isn't just merely a little kick. This is a, this is a leaping. The language here is, is that of, of, of jumping, of, of, of excitement. And then it tells us that in this moment, Elizabeth then is, is filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in this unique way comes upon her in this moment. And she speaks forth this kind of prophetic word where she says, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. She says, why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come and see me? So there's a couple of things that we can observe and comment on here. The first thing is, do you realize who the first person to react and rejoice at the news of Mary's miraculous birth? Her miraculous pregnancy. It's an unborn baby, right? And it, it was said of John that he would be filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. And so even now, he is, he is fulfilling that purpose to, to prepare for and rejoice at and call people to recognize the coming of the Messiah. And this was not just fetal tissue, not just you know a, a, an embryo in there, but this was a human being, a person already reacting to, in God's plan, the coming of the Messiah. It's a beautiful point that Luke gives for us here. The other thing that you might notice is that these words sound very familiar to you as, as you read them, especially if you come from somewhat of a Catholic background. Because these words that are spoken by Elizabeth here have been included in the Hail Mary prayers of the Catholic Church for a lot of years. And so it leaves us with the question of, of how are we to view these words that are declared by Elizabeth here or the words that Mary's about to speak in which she says later that all generations from now on will call me blessed. Does this passage place Mary in kind of a unique moral status as one that should be venerated by the church, one that we should expect that we receive grace from? I believe the passage is taken way too far many times to to, to view Mary as one that, that should be prayed to, to be idolized, or even worshipped. That was not Luke's point, and it's, it's clearly not Mary's desire as she responds to this. But there's times that we as Protestants can actually, uh, in, in, in an effort to want to avoid any kind of Mariolatry or worship of her, that we can kind of minimize her important role that she plays as, as if she's just kind of a, a pawn in this whole story. But what Mary is granted here, and what her and Elizabeth celebrate together in this moment is absolutely spectacular. 
And Elizabeth's words reveal that the significance of this moment, it is not lost on them. They recognize that this is massive. Yes, she is blessed among all women, but it's not because of her moral perfection, it's not because of her perpetual virginity, but because the God of the universe in His sovereign plan that He has been working out for generations and generations has finally reached its climactic moment, and of all people, this young, insignificant woman from Nazareth in Israel has been chosen by God to give birth to the most important human being to ever live. Do you recognize how significant this is? So yes, indeed, she has been graciously favored by God. And that is not something that she sees as something to think highly of herself, but it actually just causes her to stare in wonder at this reality that's just taken place. And it's so amazing that we have John in the womb leaping for joy and Elizabeth declaring even in herself, how is this happening that even even the mother of, of, of my Lord is coming to see me? And she says, blessed is she who believed that God's Word spoken to her would be fulfilled. Which, this is Zechariah's house, so he likely is around, which is a pretty big dig at him in many ways, because if you know the story of Zechariah, he actually failed to believe, and because of his doubt, was mute for the entire time of, of, the, of the, the pregnancy of John. But Mary responded in faith. And because of that, Elizabeth declares that she's blessed. So in this scene, we, we see these two women who are completely and utterly amazed by what God is doing and by the fact that He has chosen them to fulfill His purposes. And this ultimately leads them to, to worship, to praise. It's the only, the only response that they see that's, that is fitting. To praise God for His grace that is extended to them. They get a front row seat to see the culmination of redemptive history. And so for us today, Mary still stands as an example of God's unlikely means to bring His grace and His mercy into this world. And she is still one that we look to and we say, wow, what an experience. How blessed was she? doesn't mean that we, we need to worship her or hail her or see her as a, as a co-redemptress with uh, Jesus. But we simply see her as a beautiful and a faithful example to us of a woman who heard the Word of God and was willing to say, let it be to me according to your will. So there's this worshipful reunion between Mary and Elizabeth. And then we see Mary's magnificent song in verses 46 through 55. And her song begins simply with this declaration of praise. She begins by expressing her emotions that have been stirred up by this reality. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. What does it mean for your soul to, to magnify something? It's this poetic language that is implored just to, to speak of this internal marveling at what God has, has done and what He's doing. And then in this parallel line, these emotions internally erupt outward in praise where she says that, 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 that my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She is so overwhelmed that, that, that all she can do is just respond in praise. 
When was the last time in your life you had a moment like that? We actually were so overwhelmed by just, just the, the, the goodness of God, the work of God in your life and in, the, in, 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 in your family that, that you just responded with just praise, with song, with just utter amazement. Like this season, we all know how hard it is to fight for that, right? Like Christmas is awesome. It's a great time, most wonderful time. And yet at the same time, it is very hectic and crazy, and there's, you know, office parties to attend, there's final work to be completed, there is decorating the house, there's the gifts for the kids, there's the gifts for the, the relatives, the gifts for that person, you don't know what they want. There's just all these, this complexity that makes up this, and the, the things that need to be baked, and just so many things that just overwhelm us to where many times we're just like tired by the season. And leaving little room for any kind of actual marveling to recognize just what it is that we're celebrating. And we all know that tension. We all get that tension, right? So Mary is just a beautiful example and a reminder to us of a, of a heart that is willing to just reflect and recognize and take this in later on, even after Jesus is born. I love the language that's used that she, she kind of held all these things in her heart and, and just pondered them, reflected on them. And I think it's just a good word for us that we have to take time, we have to carve out time and commit time to just sit and reflect, to try to just, just, just let our minds be blown away again by the reality that God has come to us. And it so easily gets pushed out and gets pushed to the side that we sing songs and we go through the routine and we head to Advent, we head to Christmas Eve service and we just miss it. Mary is an example to us of one who sees it who is blown away by it, who simply has nothing else to do but just rejoice. And so in her song, she then gives her perspective. The next lines tell us why she is so overwhelmed with praise. She says, For God has looked on the humble estate of His servant. And behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the rest of human history... We're going to remember what God did through Mary and we'll continue to declare her as blessed and favored. And today is an example of that as we continue to reflect on this woman and her response here. But what I love about this passage is that it actually highlights something essential in both Elizabeth and Mary. And they both in this passage exhibit such humility. Elizabeth declares, why is this granted to me? Like, like who am I that, this is, that, that you're coming to me to share this with me? That I get to be a part of this moment? And then Mary, she declares that God has looked on the humble estate of His servant. Mary knows who she is. She knows that she's a nobody. That she has no significant place in society in the world. She's just a really young innocent girl. She knows that God also saw that, that God wasn't mixed up here, that He knew the social status of Mary, that she was at the very bottom. She knows that she is not the one that any of us would handpick for this task. The perfect candidate is Mary of Nazareth. And 
In fact, throughout this whole story, we see this over and over. Daniel did a great job a few weeks ago, even highlighting this throughout the genealogy that's mentioned of just the unlikely and obscure figures that show up to continue the line of the Messiah. And here in this story, we get barren women, faithless priests. We get Mary and Joseph, whose whole kind of situation from the outside just looks like a big scandal. We get shepherds who are, you know, the most untrustworthy of, of folks. Negatively viewed by society coming in later. We get Eastern astronomers and, and guys out there practicing who knows what. From a Jewish perspective, like this whole story is basically a train wreck. But this is how God works. And this is what we see over and over again. That God looked down on the place of Mary and He said, yep, I'm going to use you. I'm not, I didn't make a mistake. I didn't mess this up. I didn't have, you know, this wasn't just my last option. But I'm going to use you. And because of that, Mary declares, He who is mighty has done great things for me. You see, Mary rightly recognizes who she is in relationship to God. That He is the mighty one, and He is the one who has done something for her, not the other way around, as if she's doing something great for God. And they both realize that they have done nothing to deserve this privileged position. They simply have received the grace of God in abundance. And it is their humility in this moment that actually allows them to respond with praise. It is because they don't think so highly of themselves as to think that they deserve this. As if they respond, oh, sure, I'll, uh, I'll be the one to, to step into this. You know, I, I think I could do a pretty good job at being Jesus' mother. I think I, think I can handle this. It's not as though Mary and Elizabeth just, you know, think that this is something great that they get to embark on, you know, because they're so great. If they had actually viewed themselves in that way, then they would think that they're helping God out, that they're, they're having a part in, in God's redemptive plan. You see, it is a posture of pride and of self-confidence that will ultimately completely undermine a heart of worship. It's a posture of pride that undermines a heart of worship. When we don't recognize God's grace that is extended to us, but we think that it is in some way something we've earned or just something that we deserve, if that's how we view it, then really there is no reason to praise. But when we recognize the unearned favor of God that's been extended to us, then we, like Mary and Elizabeth, can do nothing but respond in praise and recognition and worship for God's goodness to us. And Elizabeth and Mary both understand that in this moment. And it's declared through her song. And so as we continue even today to declare, what, as Mary said, that all generations would of her, that she is blessed, we are not piling praise upon her, but we are continuing alongside of her to continue to marvel at the glorious fulfillment of God's purposes in a lowly first century Jewish teenage girl. And so our song continues to declare who God is. Again, He is the mighty one. This picks up the Old Testament imagery of the divine warrior that we saw in Exodus. That God steps in to fight for His people. She declares that, that His name is holy, highlighting God's otherness from us. This Old Testament image Always, always highlighted that, that, that God cannot dwell with the sinful people, but yet He is continually trying to find a way for His presence to be seen 
and it's in His holiness that He also condescends to us. Verse 50, she says that His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. Mary reminds us that it is a humble attitude that flows out of a fear of God. Rightly assessing who we are in relationship to this God. Then verses 51 to 53 describe this comparison. And it really reveals to us how economics actually work in the kingdom of God. And there's these different groups that are mentioned. The proud and the lowly. The hungry and the rich. It says that He has shown strength with His arm. Scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, but it's the rich who have been sent away empty. So in these stanzas, we see the irony of God's kingdom that Mary correctly perceives. That those who think much of themselves, who see themselves as the mighty ones, they will be shown to be weak. They will be brought low, but it is the humble that ultimately will be exalted. And this is, this is the theme that we see throughout the Scriptures going all the way back to the Psalms and the Proverbs. We read things like, Though the Lord is high, He regards the lowly, but the haughty He knows from afar. Toward the scorners He is scornful, but to the humble He gives favor. One's pride will bring Him low, but He who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Then in our New Testament we read, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is how God works. This is how His kingdom reigns. He lowers the lofty and raises high the humble. And the beautiful thing is that it's not just something that He merely demands of us and just wants to keep us down and humble, but this is actually what He exemplifies through His own life. And this pattern of humility is at the heart of the Incarnation. We have to realize that the place of exaltation is only arrived at on the path of lowliness. It's what we see declared by the Apostle Paul to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 2, where he tells them to have this mind in them that, that Christ had in Himself. It said, although He was in the, in the form of God, He didn't consider that something to be grasped, something to be held on to, but rather He emptied Himself and took upon Himself the form of a servant was made in human likeness. And I think that passage is best understood actually in a causal way, meaning because He was God, because He was in the form of God, this is what He was led to act towards us. It was Jesus' very godness that actually motivated and freed Him to act in humility and to take on humanity. He was very God and He did not see that then as something that He had to leverage for His own advantage, but actually because He was God, because He had everything, then He actually could pour Himself out for us. And it's actually in that condescension to us that He ultimately is lifted up and glorified even more. Do you see how God's economics work? The fact that the more we seek to raise ourselves up, the more we will fail and the more we will fall. But if we entrust ourselves to God, if we unite ourselves to Him and recognize our lowly, broken condition, then in Him He will exalt and lift us up. And then from that place, 
We have been given everything that we could ever imagine, everything that we want, everything that we long for, and then from that position, we then are freed to actually act in humility towards others. To extend that same mind that Christ did. And when we realize that God will exalt us, that true glory and exaltation is only found in Him, we're actually free to approach all of life with the posture of humility. To lay down our lives, to consider others more significant than ourselves, to look to the needs of others, to learn that, 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 that blessed truth that we try to teach our kids in the Christmas season, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. That heart of humility is only arrived at as we look to and recognize how God Himself sets the example to us and offers us this promise that the way up is the way down. And Mary's song is a reminder to us of this. She is beginning to understand this. That it's actually those who are hungry who need God to feed them who recognize that they need something from God who actually will finally be filled those who seek to feed themselves, who seek to find satisfaction in themselves, will always be left empty. And that the rich, not just merely those who have money, but those who trust in their wealth, those who think that they have it all together because they have accomplished so much, they have gathered this for themselves, they have taken care of their own lives, it's those who ultimately will have nothing in the end. And so Mary's song to us is a reminder of God's heart for the lowly. Which ultimately is all of us if we actually rightly see ourselves in relation to God. If we can actually press past and look past our human perspective and our inclination to make much of ourselves, to lift ourselves up in self-worship, to think that we're pretty great, if we can actually look past that to rightly see who we are before a holy God, that we need His salvation, we need His life and His death in our place, it's only then can we actually be freed from the tyranny of self-worship and be drawn to have our souls grow to magnify God. So the last stanzas of the song speak ultimately to the fulfillment of God's promise. That He helped Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His offspring forever. What Mary's telling us here is that this is not some new story that she's stuck kicking off, but this is actually the culmination of a story that's been being told for a long time. And even after 400 years of silence, God has not forgotten His promise. And it's the same language that we saw over and over in the Old Testament as we walk through Genesis and, and Exodus, that God remembered His covenant. God remembered what He said. He remembered His promises. And now Mary recognizes He is about to fulfill them. The promise first made to Abraham long ago is about to find its climactic end. What a beautiful song. And so in this, we are reminded that Christmas tells us that God is true to His Word. That He is trustworthy. That He does indeed keep His promises to us. And Mary reminds us of that here. And what's so great about this song that ultimately that it is really a minimizing of Mary and really just an exaltation of God. And so Mary leaves us with these things to consider. 
To consider that when we take a proud posture toward our relationship with God, when we think, you know, maybe that we've done something for God in our, you know, affection towards Him and giving Him our worship, then we actually may be led to view Christmas as a time that we begin to highlight and celebrate the things that we have attained. We celebrate the gifts that we can afford, the traditions we've built, the things that we look to for satisfaction and joy rather than taking a humble posture towards Mary, recognizing the God who stepped down to us and celebrating the gifts that have been given. Mary's song to us is a reminder of who Christmas is for. Christmas is for the weary. It's for the broken. It's for those who long for something more. Not for the self-sufficient, for those who don't think that they need anything. We all maybe know that person who's hard to buy for. The person who kind of has everything. What do you get them? You give them a tie and they got a closet full of them. Give them a watch, they already have the one that they wanted. Those people are so hard to buy for. Have you ever bought for just a child? Cardboard box will do it at times. Christmas is for those who recognize their place. Who God is. His greatness, His glory, His holiness, and how how weak and insignificant and how poor we are and how we need Him to step in to our world in order to find any kind of exaltation. Mary's song is a reminder that leads us to the words of the Apostle Paul when he said this of Jesus, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. That's the hope of this song. That's the glory of Christmas. And we have to remember that it is only as we recognize first our humble condition, like Mary and like Elizabeth, that we actually are freed like them to respond in worship and to actually recognize the glory and the majesty of the Incarnation in this season. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for this song written so long ago the greatest of Christmas songs that reminds us that the Mighty One has done great things for us. You chose in Your perfect wisdom to select a young teenage girl to be the one who would carry the Messiah. And for that, we recognized how blessed she was. We recognize that we too can follow in her example as we recognize our humble condition. And as we marvel at the fact that You would step down to us, that You would come to us, that You would lay down Your life to rescue us. So let us live as Your church, a humble people, people who do not, do not think much of ourselves, but desire to make much of You. So keep us before the throne, before You this Christmas season. Let us worship You. Let us see the glory of the Incarnation afresh. And it's in the beautiful name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.